We're going to look at just three verses today. Um, You can look it up on your phone. Um, If you don't have any of that, the verses that we're going to be looking at are also in your bulletin. We're really just going to look at three verses a little bit later um, during this message. There's also a place there to take notes if you want to do that as well. We're going to begin a journey today through a book that has literally changed the world and has changed human history several times over. That's what Romans is. You know, every week we come and we celebrate Jesus and what he did. Every week we hear from God. And this letter, this letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Rome is like a bridge for us. Okay? It's a bridge between what Jesus did so long ago and where we are today. This letter, like all of the Bible, is a bridge that bridges the ancient world where Jesus lived uh, to our present day. One of the things that is special about Christianity that, that makes it special is that it's grounded in history. Okay, Christianity is not just um, a faith or a belief system of timeless truths of being a good person. Um, some people think that that's what Christianity is. It's sort of this general sense of love. But in the Bible, the Bible says that timeless truths aren't good enough. Okay, the Bible says that they're not strong enough to change people. Truth can't just change. Ideas, values can't change people by themselves. They're just not strong enough. The concept of love can push us to be better people, but it can't actually give us the strength to be better. Okay? The idea of love and sacrificial love as an example calls us to be better people, but it doesn't give us the strength to be better people. It shows you what you're supposed to be, but it doesn't tell you how you can be that kind of person. And so love as an idea can push us to love, but what really changes us is being loved. The thing that changes who we are is being loved by God. We need to hear not just a list of rules. What we need is to see a God actively involved in the lives of people. We need to see that God actually actively loves us. Because when we see that, when we experience that kind of love, then we're changed. That's what makes us different. And Romans, this book of Romans is all about this. The book of Romans describes how God acted in history, how Jesus came in history, how Jesus came and got involved into the middle of history, into the midst of stories of people who were living and going about their business. God came actively and he worked and he did something. He accomplished something. That's what Romans is about. And it's amazing because it shows us that God can and does act in history. This is a letter that the Apostle Paul, he, he, he was eager to show people. About 20 years after Jesus died and rose again, Paul was eager to convince people and help them see that what Jesus did in history makes a difference in their story in the year 55-ish A.D. And as we read that, as we read what Paul says, why that 20-year gap is actually no gap at all, what we'll see is that the 2,000-year gap that exists between when Paul wrote and our lives today also is bridged by Jesus. 
And so what I want you to know at the outset of our time in this book, what I want you to hear today is that God works within history. Okay, I want to show you that today, that God is intimately involved in history, in the working of human events. God is involved even in global politics. Okay, some people think that God is in control of everything and that he's actually pulling the levers on every little thing that happens. Um, And I think that's overstated. Okay, I think that's overstated. There are things that are done that are not what God would want done. There are things that God allows to happen that he would not want to happen, but in, he still works within everything. He works within history to bring about his purposes. And so God works through technology. He works through politics. He works through culture. He works through human events so that we would be able to hear about Jesus and understand how Jesus makes a difference in our lives today. Okay. In fact, when the followers of Jesus began to write down the news of Jesus for people who hadn't heard about it yet, there was this peculiar theme that you find. As you read the New Testament, you find these little hidden phrases that are in certain letters in the New Testament. And what they teach us is that the events of world history were specially orchestrated at the time of Jesus so that the news of Jesus could spread to the entire world. Okay, there's this theme. And if God used the events of world history back then, then God will continue to use both world history and he'll operate directly in the history of your life today. Okay, that's what we're going to see today. That's what we're going to talk about today. The climax of the Bible story is the coming of Jesus. Um, but there's this other theme. It's sort of obscure. I feel like I'm link bait, you know, on Facebook or something. Like I'm trying to get you to click on something, right? Um, I don't mean to do that, but this is true. It's this obscure little theme that if you just click here, you can find out what it is and I'll get paid a lot of money. Um, <laughs> no, no. The Bible actually says, I'm going to show you these things in just like 30 seconds, um, that Jesus came at the right time. It said Jesus came at the fullness of time. Let me show you. Romans um, chapter 5, verse 6. Look at this. It says, for while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. There's a timing involved in the coming of Jesus. Um, While we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. And then look at Galatians 4, verses 4 and 5. It says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And so you have, at the right time, when the fullness of time had come, there's this timing involved. And so what does this mean? What this means is that the events of world history were specifically orchestrated. They were specifically orchestrated at the time of Jesus so that the news of Jesus could spread to reach the entire world. Okay, And when we see this, again, we're going to see how, wait, if God could do this back then, could it be that God is still doing this today? Could it be that you might find that God is actively working in your life today through world events, through politics, through relationships? I would say the answer is yes. And so... Um, So I just want to read a few verses as we get started. This is really just going to be an introduction to the book, okay? So we're going to read these verses, make some reference to some of the words, but I'm not going to be preaching verse by verse yet. We're going to be doing that over the course of, well, let's just say a long time. 
And so let me just show you a few verses. They're also in your bulletin from Romans chapter 1. So this is how the book starts. It says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. Then verse 7, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. Um, And then verse 15, Paul says, so I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. This idea of Rome is very important. This letter is called Romans because it was written to the church that was in Rome. And Rome at that time was the ruler of the known world. Rome was in charge of everything. Rome was more powerful and more expansive and more extensive than any empire known in human history up until that point in time. And it's important for you to understand a few things about the world of Rome to see how it made it perfect timing for Jesus to show up. Okay, so I'm going to show you just three things that characterize the Roman Empire at that time, and we're going to see how they actually created this sense that this was the fullness of time. This was at the right time for God to send Jesus. Okay? And so the first thing that we're going to see today, um, overarchingly, is that God uses the circumstances of life to prepare people that you know to experience Jesus. Okay? That's the big picture theme that I want you to get today. But first, we're going to see that Roman leadership made people cry for Jesus. Okay, Roman leadership made people cry for Jesus. Okay, the world was owned by Rome, and Caesar became more and more and more full of himself. And the line of Caesars became more aggrandized, more grandiose, more bombastic, to the point where Caesar actually set himself out to be God. Okay, Jesus, uh, Caesar, what, and the way it started at first was that when a Caesar died, um, his son would take over, oftentimes, not always, but the son would take over, and the son would say, you know what, my father was a great man, a great leader, actually my father was divine. And so he is now ascended, after, um, after Julius Caesar died, Augustus Caesar Uh, saw a comet in the sky a short time after, and he said, I see in this comet my father ascending into heaven as God. Now, what's exciting for the person who is humble enough to claim that his father is God is that what does that make him? The son of God. And so the Caesars called themselves the son of God. Um, Augustus Caesar, again, actually established a 12-day holiday for himself. He called it Advent. Interesting. Um, But during this holiday, children would chant, there is no other name under heaven but Augustus by which a man can be saved. And some of you know that that's actually said about someone else in the book of Acts in chapter 4. Not a coincidence. Every time a new Caesar took over the throne... um, that came with what was called at that time a gospel announcement. The word gospel was used as the announcement that a new Caesar had taken the throne. And it was good news. It was, they announced peace and prosperity for everyone. Caesar was actually called the savior of all people in the Roman Empire. Now, Paul, the apostle Paul, writing this letter, he saw Caesar... And he saw Caesar's arrogance um, and his false view of himself. And Paul saw that what Caesar was doing was actually a caricature of the true Lord of the world. 
he saw the claims that Caesar made and the things that were said about him as not true in Caesar's case, but as actually pictures of who God was when he did come in Jesus. Paul knew that Jesus had come and Jesus was the real version of what Caesar was the parody. And so as bad as the Caesars were, Paul used the language and the titles and the descriptions of what Caesars claimed to be to show who Jesus actually was. And there's people who could say, well, hey, hold on, Paul. How do you know that Jesus is the greater version of what the Caesars were? How do you know that Jesus is any better than the Caesars? Right? Who are, how are you any different from the son of a Caesar who claimed that his father was divine? You're claiming Jesus was divine. How is it any different? And Paul would say, well, the Caesar that you're talking about has died and has been replaced by another who also died. And at that time, the empire and the emperors were becoming weaker and weaker and weaker. But Paul would say, hold on, but Jesus died too, so you got that. But then Jesus rose from out of the grave, and he now lives forever. The difference between Jesus and every other world ruler is that Jesus is alive. He has passed through death and come out the other side. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Paul was convinced, and it was seeing and experiencing the fact that Jesus created a new empire, and that empire was growing, and Paul knew it would never stop growing until it filled the ends of the earth. And so this spoke powerfully to the people of Paul's day, and I think it also doesn't just speak to them, but it speaks to us. This speaks to everyone who is a ruler, everyone in authority, anyone who has influence. This speaks to you today. How so? Well, we have world leaders who claim to be above the law, right? We have presidents, we have president-elects, we have would-be presidents who have acted like the law doesn't apply to them. There are foreign rulers um, who act as though they have nothing and no concern other than their own well-being and their own power. And this understanding of Jesus, this understanding that Jesus is the true son of God, and even more so, that Jesus is the world's true Lord, it calls everyone with power to use their power as Jesus did. Jesus had all power. Jesus was equal with God, and yet he humbled himself and came to serve. Jesus didn't lift a finger of his power to serve himself but used all of his power to care for others. Now, this understanding of Jesus, if Jesus is your Lord, if Jesus is your God, then this gives comfort to you when you live under bad rulers. When you find yourself under someone who is tyrannical, under someone who is oppressive, under someone who is immoral, under someone who is taking advantage of you or abusing you, this is comforting to know that Jesus is actually working in the midst of history. That Jesus hasn't forgotten you, he's not ignoring you, but he is with you. Some of you have uh, bosses, some of you have parents that actually make you thankful because you can see Jesus in them. Right? Some of you, have, you see authority, there's authority at your workplace, there's authority in your home, there's authority even among your friends 
where you see people that actually remind you of Jesus in certain ways. And you're thankful for that. And yet you need to know, too, this is true not just for world rulers. This isn't true just in politics. Um, but anybody who has influence over anybody else, which I think means this is true for all of us, that when we see bad leadership, it makes us cry out, doesn't it, for Jesus. It makes us cry and want leaders and rulers and influencers who have our best interests in mind, who care for us, who love us, who will understand us and go the extra mile to understand us. Right? We want these kinds of leaders. And this is a call then for us also, not just to want these leaders, but to be these leaders for others. Because when this kind of leadership happens, when Jesus' leadership happens, it gives God glory and it actually fills the world with more of his presence. We become a bridge. We become a bridge of Jesus' presence. And so you can be the presence of God's love and care as you cry out for Jesus' leadership. So the Roman leadership made people cry for Jesus. Um, the second thing is that the, Romans God, the Roman gods made people cry for Jesus. The Roman gods made people cry out for Jesus because the Romans had not just one god, it wasn't just Caesar, but they had a pantheon of gods. They had, a, they had multiple gods. And these gods were, they were almost a little too human, if you know what I mean. Um, their gods were very often angry. Their gods were very often not satisfied. Their gods were not predictable. You would never, you'd never be able to tell if they were happy or not. There were shrines on just about every corner in every major city where people who were afraid that they might have done something in the last five minutes even to make a god angry would take a pinch of incense and, spray, and toss it on the altar, toss it on the burning flame on the altar just in an effort to try to make sure that, like, hey, God, if there's anything, bust, if there's anything messed up with us, like, okay, look, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. On every corner in these streets. They were so superstitious because they had no idea what the gods were thinking. They had no idea. They had these senses that gods just demanded more and more and more and more and more of them, but they had no idea when it was enough. They had no idea when the gods were mad, when they were going to get smitten, when they were going to get struck with disease or their children or their family, a disaster. And every time there was a disaster, they thought, well, maybe the gods are mad at me. And it was into that world that Paul writes about a God that you can know. This God revealed himself in Jesus so that we can know what God thinks and how God feels. And God says, because of Jesus, God first is love, God is forgiveness, God is compassion, he is long-suffering, God is patience and understanding. This is who God is. And Paul wanted this message to get out to that world because of how desperately people needed to hear it. Because without this, without hearing that this is what God says, this is who Jesus is, this is who Jesus reveals God to be, you'd have no idea if you were good enough. You'd have no idea where you stood with God. And so Paul wanted clarity, peace, comfort, and joy 
to get out into the Roman Empire. He knew that people were suffering. He knew that people didn't know which way to turn. He knew that there were no answers, and he knew that Jesus was the answer. And so the Roman gods made people cry for Jesus. And I think today, this is exactly what people need again. People need to hear that this is what God is really like, that God is like Jesus. Because today people are in the same boat. They don't know where they stand with God. They don't know how God thinks or what he feels. They don't understand if they've done enough. Some people have a general sense of spirituality and there's these sort of truths that they aspire to, which can work for you as long as you have the strength to live them out. But when you're empty, those things can't feed your soul. When you wonder if God loves you or not, when you don't know if there is a God, when you wonder where you stand, you can't make sense of life. They need to hear it from us, but even more than they hear it from us, they need to see it in your relationship with God. Or they need to see the peace that you have. They need to see the joy that you have. They need to see you struggling and suffering and not being undone. They need to see that you can, not that you're above everything, but that even in the midst of the pain and the anguish and the difficulty, you haven't given up and that you trust a God and you have a joy and a love from him that spills out. If you struggle with living that way, then this letter is for you. This is why we're doing this. And so we're going to dust off this ancient letter and it is going to renew us all. You're going to see that this ancient letter still speaks directly to our day today. And I can say this book, this letter, I call it a book, I call it a letter, it's the same thing. This letter has changed my life over and over and over again. I have been associating myself with this letter for, I guess, about 26 years. And it is as fresh to me now as I'm getting ready to preach this series as it has ever been. This is one of these things that just continues to pay dividends and and you get an incredible return on investment over and over and over again. This book has come alive to me as I've read it myself and tried to just write out my own thoughts about what is this saying, what does this mean, how does it apply to my life. This book has come alive to me in groups of people where we literally say, all right, we're going to look at this paragraph or these verses, and we're just going to talk about it together. What is this saying? What does it mean? How does it apply? Right? And so I want to invite you to do this. Do this on your own. Do this in our life groups. This is what our life groups do. They get together. They talk about the Bible. They say, how does this ancient book make a difference in our lives today? How can we walk this out? How can we know God and what he thinks? How can we encourage each other? Because you know things I don't know. You have experiences that I don't have. We need each other in this. And we're going to see that next week. Um, And so the Roman gods made people cry for Jesus. In the midst of the silence that comes, God speaks and he speaks clearly. And there's good news. And the last thing we're going to see is that the Roman roads made, uh, the Roman roads answered the cry for Jesus. Okay, and again, I want you to see this in the history uh, of why this was the perfect time for Jesus to have come. The Roman roads were built and they were a huge part of the expansion and the safety of the Roman Empire. The Roman roads made communication much safer and much easier And God used these roads to spread the good news throughout the world. He used these roads. And so here's a picture um, of the Roman Empire with these Roman roads. 
All those red lines, these were roads that were built back in the ancient world that literally webbed the Roman Empire. Um, I looked this up on Wikipedia, and here's what Wikipedia said. The Roman roads were physical infrastructure vital to the maintenance and development of the Roman state. They provided efficient means for the overland movement of officials, civilians, communications, and trade goods. At the peak of Rome's development, no fewer than 29 great highways radiated from the capital city of Rome, connecting cities and provinces, and at its prime, there were 250,000 miles of roads. Dang. And the capital city of the empire was Rome. The capital of Rome was the heart of the empire. And the roads pumped the culture of Rome, the values of Rome, the propaganda of Rome and of Caesar throughout the arteries of the empire along these roads. And Paul wrote this letter. Paul wrote this letter because he wanted to take like an adrenaline shot and drive it into the heart of the Roman Empire so that if this gospel could get planted in this place, then the whole world would hear. And so it seems as though part of it being the right time to send Jesus was that there was an empire that had built a network of communication lines that could take the news of what Jesus did and bring it into the rest of the world. God's heart has always been to bless every nation on earth, to see that all the nations of the earth would be blessed. And at this time, he sent Jesus, who later sent Paul to bring this gospel so that the gospel could beat through the bloodstream of the Roman roads to reach everyone. I think God's doing the same thing today, isn't he? I mean, think about this. I'm able to speak to a lot more of you because I have a microphone, right? God continues to use technology. He continues to use people made in his image who create stuff from what we have here, the raw materials of what's on this earth, they create things that allow us to communicate throughout the world. You know, this was unheard of at the time in history when it was built. And now we literally span the globe where you can carry a computer around in your pocket and talk to anybody else on the face of the earth. It's remarkable. And God continues to use the technology. He continues to use phones. He uses the internet. He uses television. He uses radio. He uses broadcasting. He uses YouTube. He uses, I mean, in all of these ways, God continues to use the technology to pump the gospel throughout the world so that everyone can know who the world's true Lord is. And so these Roman roads answered the cry for Jesus in Paul's day. And I think technology, obviously technology is used for good and for bad, but it was back then too, right? The idea is that God takes what is in place and says, how can that be used so that people can know Jesus, so that Jesus can become known and famous uh, in the world today. And so this continues to happen. 
God continues to use it, and smart Christians, smart churches use technology um, and spread the gospel and reach people that have never been reached before, continue to use technology. But it's not just out there in the big picture. It also hits us, right? Because all of us have phones. All of us have, I mean, most of us have Internet access. Most of us have incredible means of communication, And we need to hear that God used these things to spread the gospel so that we can ask ourselves, how does God want us to use what we have to share Jesus with others? I mean, in your own life, I think that there are lines of communication, there are roads of communication between you and other individuals that God wants to reach. Think about this. Think about the people in your life that God wants to reach. God cares about them. God has a plan for them. God may be at work already in their lives. Sometimes those roads look like a phone. Sometimes those roads are just a relationship. Sometimes those roads look like a coffee house where you're sitting across the table and just talking. Sometimes it's texting, sometimes it's Facebook, sometimes it's Instagram, right? And I'm not saying to become one of those obnoxious people that only ever talk about, I don't know, the end of the world and Jesus and you better die. If you don't repent, you're going to die. I mean, like I'm not talking about that. I'm saying let your relationships include your faith in Jesus, in all of the relationships, and all the bridges, all the roads that are built between you and the people around you, just let it be that the gospel finds its way along those roads so that if people saw you, they could see that there's something about you that smells like Jesus. There's something about you that feels like Jesus. And let me just say again, if you're not good at this, this letter is for you. If you struggle with this, this letter is for you. Come back and join us as we embark on this journey. As we look and see, my guess is that as you experience the content of this letter, it's going to change you, it's going to renew you, it's going to challenge you, it's going to thrill your heart in ways that are going to make you feel different as a person to the people around you, even before you say anything. And as you lean in, this letter is going to put inside of you something that's going to want to come out. You're going to be able to find something in this that you'll be able to share with other people who are struggling and who need some of the wisdom that you're going to get from this letter. In the Christmas carol of Joy to the World, we sing, hear the lyrics, that he comes to make his blessings flow Far as the curse is found. Far as the curse is found. Far as the curse is found. This letter is incredibly honest about just how far this curse is found so that we can experience the good news of the presence of God in his loving, powerful forgiveness in our lives as far as the curse is found so that each one of us can be part of the road that reaches into the world here in San Diego and beyond.
Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you for changing Paul. Thank you for inspiring him to write this letter at that time. God, thank you that as we look and think about Rome, we can see so many things that are just about identical to our lives today. And We pray that you would use this letter in our lives to change us, to change our church family, and to change our city and our world. Help us, Lord, to listen. Uh, Help us to look with expectation at who you are and what you've done so that we would be transformed. And for those, Lord, that are here and they don't know you, Lord, would you touch their hearts? Would you help them see and give them that thrill of hope that life could be different, that they could know a God and be sure that they know who you are and how you feel about them? pray that you would draw them to yourself as they see your goodness displayed in Jesus. And we pray in his name. Amen.